You are listening to an episode of Dope with Lime, a production of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont University. Each episode of Dope with Lime explores the life, work, and legacy of Lillian E. Smith. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and make sure to follow us on Twitter at LES underscore center. Welcome. My name is Matthew Touch, and I am the director of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont University, sitting outside today with professor and writer Kamala Dutt. She has been a resident at the Lillian Smith Center for the past couple of decades, coming up at least, you know, once or twice a year to work on her writing. Uh, For 28 years, she was a professor in the Department of Pathology at Morehouse School of Medicine. Along with that, she has published extensively in medical journals on retinal stem, um, retinal stem cells and tissue engineering. And along with all of those professional publications, these others are professional too, but she has also published three collections of short stories and one novella in Hindi and one poetry collection in English. And she has two more books in the works, which is why she's up here at the center today. We're looking at on Screamer Mountain. So... Thank you, Kamla, for joining me, and I'm really excited to talk to you about your time here at the center. Thank you for having me, and the stay has been wonderful, and this space has always been a sanctuary for me from the very first time that I came here. And we were talking before you kind of, before we started recording about when's the first time you came up here, and you don't remember the exact year, I know. I don't. I, there was a workshop held by Mr. Walker. So Frank X. Walker. Frank X. Walker, and around, I think at least there were 15 people or maybe more, but before that, a very well-known poet, Alice Lovelace, had recommended the place to me, and she was the one who suggested the workshop. And that's how I came for the first time. And this was years before Piedmont had oh, yeah. it, right? So this years. is when Nancy and Robert were here. Absolutely. And every year when I came, one of the highlights used to be seeing Robert, Nancy, having a glass of wine with them. And usually there was another, uh, we were two people right. here, and they would take us for dinner. Firstly, we would have a wonderful glass of wine and chat and reminiscing about her past, her involvement, Lillian E. Smith, and then we would share little bits in our lives, and then we would go for a lovely dinner. Right, that's what I've heard. So like, yeah, yeah. when they were coming up here regularly during the summers, I think it was during the summers they came, that they would, you know, cook for the cook for the residents, yes. have meals, y'all would just sit around and chat, and, and Nancy would make some mean cocktails. I, I've heard did. that she makes some good she cocktails. Did. She did. She did. <laughs> she did, and it was just uh, phenomenal to hear stories of her childhood and her interaction with her aunt Lillian Smith, but also the other stories that had been accumulating. And I've always believed, and I'm sure you are aware of it, but for Robert and Nancy. I don't think the legacy would have continued and the shape that the institu- the place has taken place. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know the whole story of when things kind of moved but I from think hand it was hand. It was their concerted effort. I think so too. Uh, absolutely. And I would see like Robert uh, cutting branches, pruning the trees, just the total investment that both of them had in this place. 
and yeah. working with Robert. I know we're going all over the place right here, but but working with Robert, of course, was Bill too. Bill, Bill. Uh, the other highlight of the place was, to be very honest, this is the first time I have come, and Bill is not here, and I'm terribly missing his presence. One of the first person after I would meet after the Nancy and Robert stopped coming was to go and see John and John, pick up my keys and Bill would be here, just making sure I'm okay, the room is okay, if I need anything. And just the hug and the smile was so endearing. And then to hear from him, he had been in this place since the age of 10. Right. And. Um, it was I like, mean, his his dad yeah. worked here. There's pictures of Lillian with his dad. His dad, here. his dad, and it's so funny. Every time we came, you wanted to know a little bit about the history, and every time he shared a little bit more, little bit of his dad, him coming, him doing things, and then over the years, as I retired and was aging, my trips back and forth, his sharing. I mean, he was both, I think, for me, Robert, Nancy, Bill, and Paul, total commitment to the place. Right. And their memories, they were both young, both Paul and Bill, maybe Bill even younger, starting at 10, uh, to be so closely associated with her. And, and talking about Bill, I mean, I know I mentioned on a, on a previous episode of the podcast, but he passed away, of course, earlier in the summer. Or before summer, technically in the spring, but yeah. you know it's only been about two and a half, maybe three months, and it's like you said, it is like something is missing. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, one time I remember I came and there was a major storm, and we lost electricity, and the first thing in the morning was knock from the bell. Am I okay? Uh, I wasn't scared. And what do I need? I said I need a cup of coffee, him going and getting me a cup of coffee. He didn't get you wine? He just got you coffee? <laughs> it was early morning. Oh, okay. I don't start that early. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do like my glass of wine, but it's late in the evening. Yeah. Okay. And it's so funny, Bill and I, we never sat and drank together. I wish we had done it. Yeah. yeah. So. He, may, he may have had a beer, a Budweiser, and you may have had your glass of wine. Uh, I think we didn't do it. We had... Um, because I usually, no, we didn't. <laughs> we just, I think, in our imagination, I'm going to toast a glass of wine this time before I leave. Well, every, I mean, like you said, every time you came up here and you were connected with this place long before I was. I mean, I've only been here yeah. since 2019. But he has been a fixture here. Fixture. And like you said, just like Nancy and Robert. And Nancy and Robert, of course, I agree with you. I don't know the whole history. You know more than me, but taking over this place after, you know, Paula and Esther and the rest of the family died, you know, taking it over and turning it into what it is, and then, of course, passing it on. So that legacy, I think, is important. Is there anything, you know, you told us kind of one story about Bill. What What are some of the stories you remember him telling you about, <laughs> I guess, this place or just how much he loved it? Because... He uh, loved it. He never wanted to leave here. <laughs> his love was like always exuding in every little gesture he made about the place. And I think he was so welcoming of the people also because for him also it was as important in some way 
as it for was for Nancy and Rich, the, uh, Robert, the legacy. Yeah, it's his, it's his it's, home. It's his home, his life, and I think his entire life tied to this place, you know, so, and occasionally he talked about his kids, but not that much. It was always when Miss Lee Lillian Smith, or when, and also after Nancy and Robert stopped coming because and they, they had full professional lives before they right. invested totally. Robert was a painter and artist and, and Nancy photographer was a, you know, and a professor. She retired right. as a professor. Nancy and was a dance, dance instructor yeah. at Florida State, right? Florida State. So, but also every time when I came, when they were not there, we talked about Nancy and Robert. So it was like, oh, we, we are missing them and right. that kind of thing. So can you, can you kind of talk about, there's a lot we could say about Phil, I know, and we can go on and on, but... Can you kind of talk about Nancy and Robert? Because Robert just passed away too, and I, I never yes. had the chance to meet him, but I've heard that he was a, a pretty amazing, amazing, amazing man. I've talked uh, to Nancy. Amazing guy and so understated. Uh, I mean, f after many years of coming, I didn't know that he had done such good photography or his art or his book. I discovered it on my own. He had never mentioned it. Neither one of them. You know, it was uh, it, early on in my mind, it was only, I'm sure he's an artist, he's married to Nancy. <laughs> they are partners for life, but I didn't realize how much of an artist he was in what he had done. He had never talked about it. You saw him gardening, you saw him pruning, you saw him make, making all of us comfortable and being a full support to Nancy, but without talking of his his own art or his Yeah, I didn't, when yeah. he passed away, I didn't, yeah. I kind of looked up a little bit more. I didn't realize he had pieces. They're not on display, but he has pieces at the National Gallery. He yeah, has yes. pieces, you know, yes. everywhere. Yes. yes, And I think that's really kind of an interesting thing that you said is, you know. Understated. You right. Low-key. And at, to be very honest, Nancy was like more vocal and verbal. This person was like so calm, like uh, being with him for 10 minutes like was a total zen. <laughs> he had that kind of presence for me. For yeah. Me. yeah. That's the only personality part of Robert that I saw doing everything in a total, was so comfortable doing everything. I mean, sometimes I would be scared for him seeing him up cut of voluntary or something but doing everything effortlessly and without making fuss about it but also the calm patiently how he did everything that stays with and, me that stays with me and just as much as this place was connected with bill and him connected with it they were connected with it too and one thing that we mentioned a second ago was for bill and I would say for Nancy, specifically Nancy too, I don't remember where she's from like originally, but it's home. It is a connection of home. And that makes me think of your work, even though I haven't read it, but you write about, you're from India, and you write about India, and you write in Hindi. And you were telling me the other day, can you kind of tell us about how you started writing? Because you started writing, got some things published, and then... I think you were working in the medical field or went into the medical and got your degrees and then put writing to that writing to the side, right? And then came back to it. Uh, a little bit differently. Okay. A uh, little bit differently than uh, what you commented. Like in India, like uh, in America, most people doing 
science only do science or only this it's like it's never and actually when I was in sciences so much so that one had to be careful if you if somebody said that besides being full-time science they are pursuing something else people don't take you seriously while in India and in Europe uh, people might be very good in their chosen profession be it science be being an attorney or whatever but they have other things that do also with uh, devotion and gusto. For me, writing started after theater. When I was in college, um, I did plays. Right. And yeah, I saw some pictures of those the yeah, other day and, you showed and me. Reasonably good. Like the, okay, I, in some ways, I think I have been lucky. Uh, <laughs> the first play that we did in the college, in those days in India, where I was growing up, my generation, Plays were being done, men doing female roles, yeah. or female doing only plays uh, in which they either played the male roles or only the whole cast was female. In college, I grew up in the city designed by French architect La Garbuse, very progressive town, but my generation, my class was the first one to do plays in which college students, both men and women, were participating. And since I came from rather educated family, you had to get permission from your dad's my parents that you can participate in plays. So the first play, I might have done some in middle and high school, but nothing to talk about. The first play we did, uh, they had already chosen the heroine <laughs> and the, uh, we used to have a female teacher in the campus. It was a co-education where she was to uh, she kind of guided women in different things. She said, oh, we need another female r uh, person for the play, but we'll have to have permission from her parents. I said, oh, I'm sure I'll get the permission, but I don't think I have done many plays. So uh, I got the permission, and my dad came for initial couple of rehearsals just to see that I can manage with this large group of men. Yeah. I did. So the first <laughs> play we did got an, a national award I, and a special award was created for me. The, usually there was one female award and one male. The heroine got the top but an award was created so I got the award. So I, the bug of acting had started and the person that directed most of the plays in Chandigarh was a Hindi professor. So since he was teaching Hindi, directing the place. Our parents, my dad was reading English, English and he was himself a uh, master's in English, so English was big. Right. And the Hindi is great, but for scriptures, not for <laughs> So because of him, I wrote in college magazine a little bit, but nothing of importance. Yeah. When I came to this country, just leaving your home, your family, and I had come, I came as a graduate student, but there were also personal reasons and things were not working at all. So writing became a kind of a outlet for me, cathartic, and just out of the, and that was, I came in 69, and like the first year was just a total chaos, but by 71, I just started writing short stories. and the, the early short stories that I uh, were about 
the people coming from other cultures here and trying to yeah. adapt. So there were the stories that I wrote somehow, and then I started sending them to the Indian magazines, and I published few in India, but only in college magazine. And being very naive, I at that time I don't send it to second level. I send it to yeah. them to the top level uh, magazines, and they somehow got accepted. So between seventy and eighty three, eighty four, I wrote around fifteen stories, and all of them somehow got published in the the leading magazines in Hindi in the country at that time. So. Uh, I was lucky, and the stories were different, and I, I think I was saying something that people wanted to read at that time. So then, when I came to Atlanta and started my professional life, um, I totally put everything stop. So whatever was written between seventy and eighty-three got published. I had one collection of short stories. Then, totally, it was science. Establishing my own lab right. and everything, and going that path, but in in between, the creative part was there with me always. So I started taking some poetry workshops much later, not in the early years. But I did plays in Atlanta. We did four major plays in Atlanta and Hindi. But our audience was mixed, American and Indian, and they turned out reasonably good. So, what do you see as the overlap? between, because the sciences, I would say, are creative too, but what, do you see kind of an overlap between your, totally, your to scientific profession and your totally. creative writing? Absolutely. I'll tell you what uh, is, uh, people always make a distinction. For mm -hmm. me, it has never been a distinction. Like, um, no, science can be, in, I mean, whatever we do in science other people have done so much you pick up you add and you do right wherever i was uh, i was daring in that way i would pick up something new and be creative about it right no matter how much effort it took before i came to atlanta i was at yale for a year i started my early postdoc at harvard met two of them eight years in two different places then went to yale for a year and the person I was to work with, she was a physician and she was having her second pregnancy and bedridden. So she said, you established my lab. <laughs> and in between, she's collaborating with somebody at Einstein. So I have an apartment in New Haven. I'm renting an apartment in Albert, close to Albert Einstein. Whatever little I was making, I was paying two rents. Yeah. I was little, I had little saving, and I was eating frugally just to survive because both the little money I made went on two rents. I didn't tell her, but me, for me to do new good science was always important, yeah. very, very. And so the crea doing something little new, not totally, uh, was so that like taking cells, introducing genes, establishing cell lines. Other people had done for different, but for human and retina, we were the first one. So there was something creative. In theater is the same, is expression. Uh, and inventing yourself. In, yeah. With every role, you are inventing and reinventing yourself. And then whenever you're writing, too, the my, same thing. And the other thing is my early writing was totally um, writing about 
immigrant experiences right. and struggles. But my my later life became to, uh, writing was so universal. It could be anybody writing anywhere, and yeah. people that were most influenced me in my last fifteen twenty years of writing was a Czech writer, Milan Kundera, who was living in France. And I was going to ask you about your influences. So that's one of your later influences. Yeah, uh, Milan Kundera, the Czech writer, but Salman Rushdie, uh, iconic writer, and then. My absolute favorite for the last seven, eight years, the Japanese author Haruki Murakami. I'm absolutely in love with him. But I also would pick up like Proust or, um, and I enjoyed a Roman Rola of early 1900 and enjoyed them uh, with gusto. So the influences are all over. And I, and, and I think the other unique thing about some of my stories lately, the last collection, is one of my early stories when it got published in India, the editor of the story was, was very well known. If I say a name, one, his first name, everybody knows him. He wrote me a letter and he said, you are from science. In your stories, we should see some science. <laughs> so from there onwards, some of my imagery becomes very scientific. Yeah. I tied that to it. And now some of the latest stories had as much as science, as, it, as much the business deals that go in scientific community, the struggles, all and the grant writing, <laughs> uh, the, race, the race issues, being a woman, all that is part of it. Yeah. So it's a mixture of them. It's life. Yeah. With all its ups and downs, failures, agonies. That's <laughs> what any art is, is any life, right? Is and I, I truly, having said everything, I said, if you look, put everything in spectrum, the science has done is this much. Writing have done is another minuscule amount. And it's, it's just a little bit in the total spectrum. But, but okay. I think, what, okay. I think what's, what comes out is the fact that you mentioned earlier about people thinking about these things as separate, right? And no, you know, one of the things, yeah. at least, I've been teaching, you've been in the classroom, I've been teaching for about 20 years, is seeing students come in so focused on, not the humanities or, or English or literature, but so focused on, I have to get these classes done in this amount of time to be able to graduate in this amount of time, right? And not realizing the holistic approach of having so, the humanities impact you know, what you're going to do, if you're going to be a nurse or a pathologist or whatever, right? I think that's really important. Uh, it's, you you have hit the most vital point. I have to tell you, one of the very well-known physician scientists from Harvard, whom I knew, and normally he would charge like $20,000 for his one talk. Since I knew him at Harvard, I invited him to Morehouse and he came. That year, he said that he had 168 invitations, and he accepted four, and one was mine. He was absolutely wanted to do some for the minorities. He stayed, and not only that, he contributed $250,000 for Morehouse for our scholarship nice. fund because of me. But the school gave credit to another black guy. But that's the difference. But what I was saying that he used to—he was a physician scientist. And he said his dad was a rabbi. He wanted him to be a rabbi. 
But then when he became a physician, he said, you have to be a physician like a rabbi. And all his life, he combined the humanness of the humanity with his science. Right. And if he thought somebody was good or caring, it didn't matter that person was postdoc or technician, he would respond at a human level. And I have always felt uh, my science has been a little bit okay because everybody in our family read. I came from a very well-read family and I think you learn about life only from reading. <laughs> yeah. If I had, had not had that background, I would have been a boring little scientist. I'm still a little scientist, but not boring. <laughs> but the, the fact that you said that you learn, you know, a lot from reading, I think is very key because yeah. reading, you know, Lillian Smith basically says the same thing. So many people say the same thing, that it opens up your perspectives of the Absolutely. world. Like you can... You can live in one space and then 10 miles of where you grew up, but still read and expand your whole world. Absolutely. But then it's just knowing of what to read and how to get access to those two. I read Gone with the Wind in college and was absolutely, absolutely in love with Scarlett O'Hara, Margaret Mitchell, and the world she exposed me to. I mean, it, it was just like... A, uh, people don't like her work, but for me, in more than one way, it was an eye-opener. So, <laughs> and so we had read Tolstoy and Dostoevsky at the same time. Right. And that, that yeah. was your... I've heard somebody else, I think it may have been when I was talking to somebody in Poland or maybe Romania, that was their entryway into learning about the USL. For all of the problems that it may have with its narrative, it's your entryway into learning about this region. Not exactly, but for me, it was learning about the South. Right. Uh, and this civil war and all that, she was the introduction. I mean, I came to Atlanta and I really thought there was a terror, <laughs> literally in my mind. When I came to this country, amidst all the chaos, uh, in Nebraska, there was a release of Gone with the Wind uh, in Omaha. We were in Lincoln, uh, me and my husband at that time. We made a special trip because I wanted to see Gone with with the wind, okay. I mean, highlight <laughs> in that way, but but at the same time, I must say, in that was early on. Later on, we had read. I think we were well-read people. Uh, Sartre, Simone de Beauvoir, Tosta, and the, we we lot had lot of Russian literature. All of us who were reading and were my contemporaries were influenced quite a bit because those were the books cheap available in India right. as a propaganda from USSR. And we have always had close bond with USSR because in every war, America would support Pakistan and Russia, USSR at that time, and philosophically would rescue us and help us. Yeah. So we did all the, you, uh, I mean, I could, I took a year of Russian and I could recite Pushkin, <laughs> okay? <laughs> we were all leftists in college, I think same 60s and 70s well, here. The, the Russians seem to be everywhere because there's so yeah. many black writers who look to the Russians too. I mean, Ernest Gaines is the one that I always think about because he yeah. looked to Dostoevsky and to Genev and all of them, all of them. and drew inspiration from them. But also I uh, had a very good communist friend in India, 
25 years older than me. He was an editor of her, the Commerce Weekly and very rich family. And for the first time, oh, but all of us were in a crazy sort of way. The people who were influenced by USSR also aware of the black oppression. I read Invisible Man in India. Yeah. I came back and majority of the whites had not read it when I talked about it. The first book that I read after coming to this country and somebody gifted me was Malcolm X biography. Yeah. That was the first book I read. And the second story I was read in some magazine about the movie Love Story. <laughs> <laughs> it was there's such a contradiction but Malcolm X biography. But having read The Invisible Man in India because of this editor did, friend. Did you read it in Hindi or English? I'm English, curious now. Okay. English, English. Earlier on, we had read a lot of Russian literature in Hindi, but in college, everything. Okay. Hindi. In our family, all the men read English voraciously. All the women read Hindi or translations, and some English, but not much. Okay. Not much. So, you've, cu you've come to this space for two decades. I guess I have two questions as we wrap up. What do you look forward to when you come up here? I mean, you write, it's a retreat, but what what keeps you coming back here? The first time I drove to this space, just firstly just coming towards the Clayton and looking at the rolling hills, I grew up I spent quite a bit of time in a hilly station in India. The hills yeah. were mesmerizing. But coming here, picking my keys from Nancy and driving here, I felt this place was special. I had not done anything, nothing, just taking my keys. I'm having some keys and driving uh, here. Uh, the place was special. And I have always believed that places have a soul and a spirit. Yeah. I really do. And we this, were, this I was I was sitting out here with sorry, I was sitting out here with um with Bill's partner yesterday and saw butterflies around and butterflies representative in, in some in some areas, you know, of spirits of people. I was like, it felt like he was here. And she was, was mentioning about, you know, seeing a red bird out the window, like the theater that she passed. From the very first time, I felt this place was special. It was my sanctuary. And then there was something magical about me, it for me. Yeah. So from there on, whatever I did uh, was okay, because that was like, a, it has, it had what made me click or kick in some ways. So uh, some of my stories have good bit of description here, climbing up and down. <laughs> but one of the stories takes place totally between in the artistic apartment next to John and John. It unfolds in one of the paintings they have. And a story about one of my technician uh, and his like long-time partner, he was black. His girlfriend, of course, was black, Evelyn. Their love story and his dying of AIDS, but not that. But how for nine years they had a son. She took care of him, uh, dying of AIDS. And the story 
ends with, I went for uh, Lester Walker's funeral. That's my technician who died of AIDS. And the whole story happens while I'm sitting in that apartment. Evelyn walking with a black veil, holding hand of her nine-year-old sons. And the story ends is that her walk in the church towards the coffin reminds me of Mrs. Kennedy walking with her son after Kennedy's assassination, Mrs. King walking with her children after Martin Luther King's assassination, and now and the violence and how it has destroyed the whole country, and now the violence of the AIDS virus, how it has taken over life of these two people. Yeah. And Evelyn told me, and I was telling her, Evelyn, she was a very bright student going to school somewhere. She stopped. She said, but how many kids from my kind of background know their father for nine years? My son knew his father for nine years. So the whole story happens here. So this place is uh, sanctuary, sanctified. Uh, uh, what, what's the name of that story? Uh, to me, it was a story of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> uh, Romeo and Juliet, and then I tie it to the Indian myth of love. <laughs> so, so let me end on this question. Uh, we, we should talk about Pearl also. We haven't talked. She's very special here, too. <laughs> so, so who is, and actually Pearl's, Pearl's here right now, who is yeah. Pearl? Pearl is a as important to this place as Bill, Nancy, Robert, and yes. everybody else. <laughs> yes, and she, she, again, just to see her, and at times just, she'll just say, when Lillian Smith was there, you never knew Miss Esther. I said, no, I never knew her. <laughs> There's a gleam in her eyes. And Pearl was somebody we need to have on the podcast too, because like, like Bill, she's been here her whole life. And she knows this place and knows the family, and it's part of her home, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she never ages. No. She looks the same as she looked 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, and she's as vibrant. <laughs> so if you had to tell somebody to come up here, what would you tell them for why they should come here and do a residency and stay and write or paint or whatever they do? Um... I'll tell them all of us looking for a special places that are mystical, somehow inspiring, magical, and yet allow you to be yourself. And the place welcomes you. I'll recommend it to anybody. And I think every writer, any anybody needs that. And even yeah. people don't who who don't write would need a place like this. Just like. There's just beauty, sanctity, and something so unpretentious about it and the people who are here. Right. And that includes you. <laughs> yes, you are a good new addition to the place. And uh, I'm, I truly feel lucky. Over, I've come many times, I've seen you, but we have never chatted fully. <laughs> this time I feel it's uh, such a gift that I've been able to know you a little bit more. <laughs> Okay. I mean that's what that's what this place is for. It's yes. it's not just I would say a retreat and residence, but it's no. 
It's connections. Too, it's I connection, say. and for me, it has been like some places you carry in your heart and mind all the time, and this is one place. Well, thank you for joining me today and having this conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dope with Lime. Did you enjoy this episode? Have thoughts? Use the hashtag Dope with Lime on social media or get in touch with us at lescenter at piedmont.edu. You can learn more about living at East Smith and the center by visiting www.piedmont.edu backslash les.